Hi Chris, how are you? Good evening, Rod. I'm very well. I'm in the shed. It's wet. I assume it's the same in Swansea. It is very wet at the moment, but it hasn't been that bad the last couple of days, actually. Yesterday was gorgeous, down on the beach, the sun came out. Nice. Yeah, I sure could imagine yesterday being lovely down by the sea. Here it was a beautiful day, but we don't have the coastline that you have. It's it's okay, though. You know, you have other things. You have aeroplanes fly over every so often instead. Yeah, especially at the moment as we're in multiple wars with multiple countries. There are lots of aeroplanes and I live in between two big military bases, which I wouldn't recommend. That's probably a bad move. I was in your part of the world, actually, this week, uh, or last week. I was in Bath uh, on uh, Thursday into Friday. Uh, we had a team-building meeting in Bath, which was very nice. I always quite like going there. It's quite pretty. It's one of those old towns for, for non-British uh, listeners, which are sort of Roman-based. They've all got the same sort of sand, stone, colory stuff going on. Harrogate's another one. York is another one. You know, they're very pretty, nice places to go, quite genteel. Get all the money out of you they possibly can. Not built for cars. That's all right. I went by train. Ah, then you you did well. Now I haven't been to Bath for a long time, but it is a beautiful place to be, and not a million miles from me. <laughs> so we're episode one hundred eight, which is amazing, and it's the nineteenth of February, and we're going to dive straight into follow up. I think we are going to dive straight into follow up. Um, so we thought we'd put Vision Pro into follow up, as we won't have a dedicated section for it, but we'll we'll do some Vision Pro follow up while it's still very much in the news. And there's some interesting stuff to begin with. Apparently, and we touched on this last week a little bit, I think, about when we're talking about subscription and one-off payments and stuff like this. But there's a few reports coming out, and this one's in 9to5Mac, about the Vision Pro is making a return to upfront fully paid apps rather than subscriptions. I wonder whether this is a short-term fad and will ultimately go, but obviously people are trying to monetize. The people that obviously spent a lot of money and just want to buy some apps, on probably a very empty app store that's got dedicated apps. So I think this is a short-term thing. I've actually been looking at a few apps recently, and I've noticed quite a few are doing lifetime subscriptions, which sort of, if you keep the app for a couple of years, usually around the three-year mark, it then actually pays for itself. But it's really hard to know whether they're going to last, you know, how long are you going to use the app for and how long are they going to keep? keep it meaningfully updated but i've been looking into that i think because i'd rather have one payment per year or one payment for the lifetime but i'm I'm not surprised by this on on the vision pro but i think it will it will pivot back to subscriptions as the user base swells yeah i mean they're quite specialist users at the moment aren't they they're people with a lot of money or they're working for magazines or they're journalists or you know they're just somebody who've got a particular interest in having this kind of apple product so I mean, again, we did touch on it last week. Some developers have made their purchase price for the device back already by selling that one-time payment to their app. And they know if you've made a front end to YouTube, ultimately the chances are Alphabet or Google will come along and make the Alphabet app available for it. So it's a pretty short-term thing. I think charging one ninety-nine a month or fifteen ninety-nine a month or something like that, you're on a loser. Yeah, agreed on, on that one. It, it, it won't take long, I think. Give it 12 months and it will be in a different place. Apple will keep plugging away at the OS updates. More people buy them. They're open up to more countries. They release version 2. The price will come down. Apple knows what it's doing. Yeah, there have been some reports on them being taken back to shops. And I, th- I can't remember if we're going to cover this week, next, uh, this week or next week. But the reasons people bring them back could be interesting. One person who definitely thinks you should bring them back and buy a MetaQuest instead is Mark Zuckerberg, who has said... His MetaQuest 3 is better than the Apple Vision Pro for the vast majority of things. That's quite a claim. Yeah, that is definitely a claim. I mean, it's definitely better on your wallet. I've not used a MetaQuest, any of them, let alone this MetaQuest 3. Have you? I haven't. It's a Facebook product. I don't want it. 
Yeah, that's the problem I have. I know the the quests have certainly been popular, you know, in, in a lot of communities, both young and old, I think. It's certainly the one that you hear most around, I think, just in social circles. But he's going to say that, though, isn't he? You know, he's trying to drive sales. Apple would probably help him to get the hype into this, this category. So why wouldn't you then turn around and go, well, actually, you could buy three of my device for the cost of one of yours and so why wouldn't you give it a, a spin so i'm not surprised he's doing this is it better though is the question and i guess we need somebody to do that comparison but what it's not going to do though is allow me to log into iMessage or you know sync up with all my other devices get all my ipad apps on it i probably can't do office on it so yeah, i beg to differ with some of his statements there what do you think I think they're very different devices, really. I mean, he for five hundred dollars versus three and a half thousand dollars, you can get more than three. You know, of these. Is it any, uh, sorry, I thought it was like nine hundred or something, but okay, apologies, five hundred dollars. Wow. Yeah, so it's it's not in the disposable income category, absolutely not. But it's closer to the I don't mind taking a punt on this end than three and a half thousand dollars. That's for sure. I yeah. mean, it's an interesting device. Like I say, I mean, had it remained Oculus that made this device and they didn't require a Facebook account to log into it. I might be interested. I, you know, I quite like the gaming thing that's there. You can, I think they have a fitness piece. You could see it being interesting for video conferencing. Some of the things that the Vision, the Apple Vision Pro does, but I think it's a very different device. And again, the strings that come attached with it that you've mentioned doesn't have iMessage, doesn't have iPad apps. That's probably a benefit for lots of people. You know, if they are Windows users, they haven't got an iPad, they don't use iMessage. Presumably, you can get your WhatsApp messages on this. Lots of people use that. So, you know, it's different ecosystem at the end of the day, but. The thing I found most interesting in one of the interviews that Zuckerberg gave was he thinks he's going to win because Apple won the last generation with the iPhone because they had the more open platform. And he's saying at this point, Meta is the more open platform. And I'm not sure that's true. We also have a lot of baggage, as you and I have explained, that we don't want to set up a Meta account. So have they, they've got baggage, I think, just on their culture as a company. If they make a more compelling price, maybe they will win. But maybe this is the Android of the VR market or headset market. I don't know. I mean, this is version 3. Plus they had a Quest Pro as well, which I think was $1,500. And it didn't sell so well. I, in fact, I remember linking on the podcast to how poorly received that was. This device has got advantages. And I think Apple should be looking at this going, we could make this out of plastic. This with the battery is lighter than the, the Vision Pro with an external battery. So there's something in that, isn't there? Yeah, there is. Um, and they look good. The Quest Pro look, looks very Vision-esque, or the, should I say the Vision <laughs> looks very Quest Pro-esque because obviously it came out afterwards. I think it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. And they're competing in really different spaces at the moment, though, aren't they? I think that, that's the, the big thing here. It needs to settle down a bit. And I think it will, but it's going to take some time. It is. And one of the factors that might influence this is our next story, which is a journalist, Zach Hall on uh, 95 Mac, can't find a prescription that he can wear inside of the Vision Pro. Now, that's very limiting indeed. Yeah, that is limiting. I wonder how many people that impacts. And is that just a short thing that will get resolved by version two or, or I don't know? Well, it's a prescription thing in that Zeiss make the lenses for these things. If they can't find a prescription to insert into the Vision Pro that supports that, then you're out of luck. 
So presumably you can wear contacts under this and, you know, th th that's fine. But I maybe his prescription is such that not all prescriptions are suitable for contacts. So he might just be knackered. And maybe ultimately, if this becomes a bigger product or other companies other than Zeiss can do different things with the technology and Apple allows it. Because I think you've got to pair them with the device, actually, because it knows how far away to set the lenses for that 1.3 meter distance based on your prescription. So Apple's got to allow somebody other than Zeiss to make the inserts. Presumably that'll come to other uh, countries anyway. And then there's a lot of sort of ducks have to fall into a row for this to work. So it's quite interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. It feels like these lenses are a bit like printing cartridges where they've got a little chip inside them and you've got to be blessed. Otherwise you could end up bricking it in a future firmware upgrade, I guess. That would be madness. Anyway, it's a shame, but I guess you know, on one level you could look at this and go, it's a bit of a gimmick at the moment, although there are very compelling features for it. Maybe version 2 or, or be some other way to support this in the future, depending on how big a hit it is. So, I mean, it's that sweet spot, that Goldilocks zone. It suits most people. It's good enough. Obviously, if you're at either end of the spectrum, well, it's only one end of the spectrum. If your eyesight is sufficiently poor that you can't find your prescription to match it, then great. Uh, you're knackered. <laughs> so, yeah, you've had it, haven't you? They, I, yeah. I think they will chip away at it. They always do, don't they? They start with the mainstream product and then they start dealing with some of the edge cases. I mean, to be fair, they've been quite good at usability up till now. For all of our other criticisms of the company, their usability features have been world-leading in many ways, and they allow people who do have limitations when it comes to using computers in a traditional way to make use of them in another one. So that's laudable. So putting it in that light, you think, well, it's a bit strange that they're limiting people with reduced vision. So, hmm. Agreed. Should we move on then to TikTok have released an app? Yeah, it's just a very small thing. There was all these major companies that didn't have apps ready at launch. We already said Google are thinking about it. Others are not. But TikTok have got a Vision Pro app natively. So well done, TikTok. Well, I think it's good they're supporting it. They probably just want to get their malware on your, on your, on your goggles so they can track you. Oh, well, I guess it's going to be primarily for consuming it rather than making TikTok content, particularly now you don't have music from Universal Music Group either on, on there. So it's a means of watching it. But TikTok one up Google. They've got a native thing and Google don't. I, I think it's smart to get their early doors because people are going to be looking to try out apps and you may win some more people over. It is a possibility, isn't it? Let's get off the Vision Pro then and just talk about something we touched on last week, which is how Apple were removing personalized web apps, PWAs, in the latest version of the iOS 17.4 beta. We were theorizing whether this was deliberate or not. It turns out that it's deliberate. Did you see this story? Yeah, I did see this. And part of me thinks, you know, you've just released updates like to macOS where you've made these apps work better. And now you're taking them away again to on the iOS to conform, conform with the EU law and all the DMA should I say and it just seems bonkers to me if surely they could have engineered this one it feels I mean it's not something I use maybe people don't use them that much but it just feels a backward step for something surely they can resolve this of oh look your default browser is Google Chrome launch in Google Chrome don't launch in Safari done yeah, so this is a solved problem on the Mac, for example, that you can set a default browser to be whatever or not launches there. So I think this is the phrase malicious compliance again, as Apple have read this and are doing the hardest possible job to go the extra mile, not even the extra mile, just to say, nope, we're not doing it. In fact, we're removing functionality you used to have just to be spiteful. And I know there was an interesting comment Gruber made about just don't live in the EU then. And I just thought well, that is how obscene a take is that on supporting the company at the costs of all things this is another area's law 
you have to comply with the law. <laughs> and it just blows my mind slightly, some of the takes that are coming about this. Yeah, and surely Apple go, well, you know, if you can't do do this web app, why don't you go make a full app and sell it to us? to our store so we're not getting any further forwards are we no we're not there was a very long statement from apple on the link to article on 9 to 5 mac about why they're not doing this but i I, again i just keep coming back to malicious compliance it feels very uncomfortable that they're being dragged along as part of this or so they're being pushed along we don't even know if the eu is going to accept all these things yet we've got a story later about what epic's take on this is and we know how their storied past with apple but this just feels like it's out there to rile lawmakers to make them, they'll be forced to go further based on their compliance with this. Yeah, and I'm amazed we've not had any update because obviously we're two or three beat. I think we're three beaters in now and yet we've heard nothing from the EU, we've heard nothing from Apple on it. It just seems to be just carrying along. So I'm just, it feels like this is what's going to go live in a few weeks' time. Yeah. Steve Troughton-Smith has a comment where he said, it's a complete coincidence that iOS killing PWAs in Europe means that PWA developers should move to the app store if they want to be on the platform. Complete coincidence. Again, he's not being cynical. I think he's absolutely spot on with that. Yeah, it's a good take, isn't it? Very concise. Yeah, he, he has his point. Uh, moving on, and we're try- I'm trying to rattle through a follow-up because there's a reasonable amount in the news. Uh, you know I like to keep my eye on web browsers. Uh, I just thought this was interesting. I haven't installed this one. I su- I'm, I'm rushing to say. I just think it's quite novel that there is a group of developers trying to come up with their own browser that isn't beholden to Mozilla or Chrome or any of the others. It's called the Ladybird Browser Project. Um, you can download and have a look at it now if you want to. That's interesting. The thing I found most interesting is if you click through on some of the links on the Ladybird Browser Project page, which is ladybird.dev, it actually links back to a whole operating system called Serenity OS, which I'm sure is some sort of Firefly reference. But if you have a look at Serenity OS, it's clearly a desktop of the 2000s period, which looks like Windows 2000 slash early Linux. So if you're jonesing for a bit of early uh, Windows action in presumably quite a robust desktop with a web browser on it, you can have that with this. I just thought it was interesting. Yeah, very much of an era. I think it's fed sound some of those screenshots. Very Windows 2000 slash NT4. Yeah, but POSIX compliance. So it's a form of, well, it will play nicely with Unix type things. So it's quite interesting if you want that sort of look. The cynic in me just thinks this is another Unix FreeBSD sort of spin based on like a Windows 2000 sort of desktop. But I quite like how committed the community are to keeping things like this alive, even if it's only in very small patches. Yeah, that is true. It's amazing the effort that's gone in, I guess, to keep it going. Absolutely. Anything else in follow-up? No, not that I can think of. It's been I've been away on holiday with my family, so it's been a quiet week for me. I've been desperately gathering news stories for us to talk about this week in case there wasn't a lot going on, because it can often be quite quiet following a big release. And I've got some. Should we do some news? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do some news. So the first one we hinted at uh, a minute ago, and this is the st- the news that uh, Epic have had their uh, Apple developer accounts reinstated as they're planning to launch a marketplace within the EU. I suppose this is quite good on Apple's part. They could have been deeply cynical and said, no, no, you screwed us over. We're not going to let this happen. You can't have a developer account again. But there you go. They've got, their, they've got the keys to the kingdom back. Yeah, I guess they wouldn't have had a leg to stand on. I guess they would have lost in court at some point. But it looks like Epic, they are going to make a game store. So um, I'm sure my children will be happy as they will be able to, I guess, get Fortnite on their iOS devices and continue playing it even more than they already are. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what they do with it. No, they won't because you don't live in the EU, so you won't get this. 
Oh, that's a shame. I'm really upset about that. I hadn't thought about that. I keep forgetting we're no longer in the EU. It's it's probably the biggest thing I forget. I, I'm glad they're doing a game store because I've not heard of anybody else really doing it or a marketplace, should I say. Have you heard of any marketplace stores? All we know is that Meta aren't. That's been the they've ones have come out and said they aren't. And I don't I think I feel like Microsoft said the same sort of thing that they wouldn't. Yeah, no, I think I think Microsoft didn't say it. so it feels like Epic's the only one really gonna do anything in that space. Well, They've got a lot of users playing a lot of games. Well, playing Fortnite, certainly, and a couple of others. Playing who, a lot of users playing one game. A lot. Yeah, and buying the horse armor for it. So they can probably cover that. So there's a little article on 9to5Mac. Quite a few of the articles are from 9to5Mac this week. Just talking about this, and Epic have officially said, we've received our Apple developer account and we'll start developing the Epic Game Store on iOS soon, thanks to the new Digital Markets Act. We plan to launch in 2024. Epic Games Sweden AB will operate the mobile Epic Game Store on Fortnite in Europe. With the store leading team development, Epic Games Sweden has three studios and 60 employees. It's a good size, isn't it? It's not nothing, is it? And they've already done the tooling, if you remember, to take payments without Apple. So this probably isn't a big deal for them. Yeah, I mean, they had it running on the Mac. They had it running on iOS. They had it running on iPadOS. I remember standing in the west coast of Ireland, the Cliffs of Moher, the day after Fortnite dropped on the iPad. And there was a group of kids all playing Fortnite on their iPads. Wow, okay. You know, remotely on, I presume, I don't, either tethered to their parents' phone or tethered to their own phones, but they were all sitting playing Fortnite, you know, out in the middle of nowhere on the west coast of Ireland. And surely you could look at some pretty scenery or something instead. There was a, it was some amazing things to look at. But no, no, they had their heads in Fortnite. So they've got a market. Yeah, they've got a massive market there. They do. Uh, other little bit of news that we can sort of almost glance over, but it's kind of an endorsement. BBC's research and development wing have said they're going to extend their Mastodon social media trial, so I guess they must be seeing some success with that. Yeah, this is really good. I'm, I'm quite encouraged by this. I haven't been looking enough, I think, but I'm using Mastodon, but I want to see some more mainstream things on Mastodon, such as the news, some of the Formula One stuff. I used to follow the teams on Twitter or now X. So this can only be good. And I'm hoping there's going to be more you know, institutions, I guess, doing this kind of social media and actually starting to embrace the the, the, the verse or I think as we call it, or the federated universe. So no, it's got to be good. I'm excited. I just want to see this carry on. Surely it's great, though, for them. In they, They've set up social.bbc. But surely it's really good for them because if you're a reporter for the BBC... And I follow you, a reporter, and you've got a you know a social.bbc Mastodon account. If you leave the BBC, you can't take your social account with you because it's not yours; it's the BBC's. So surely it's got to be a good thing for them in that the actual the corporation can have ownership over that. You know, you've got that difference then between work and personal, I guess, for for a reporter, for example. So I hope they do more with this, and I think this is what is good about how Mastodon works in that the BBC can have their own official Mastodon server instance in essence um, and have their staff you know set accounts and report so yeah really interesting this yeah I think it's fair enough they're going to continue this trial for another six months and see how it goes but you know signs must be encouraging coincidentally and it's not linked to in the show notes I've been noticing on Mastodon there's obviously been some sort of huge spam attack going on on some of the instances. I haven't seen any of this myself on the Mastodon.scot app, but I think Mastodon.social is doing this. Apparently it's a spat between two people. Somebody set up some sort of ser- service on Mastodon.social to spam accounts with a particular username. 
So that's not great. Eugene Rochko, who's the man who wrote the, the initial Mastodon client and uh, contributed to ActivityPub, has said it's a fairly easy fix. You just need to turn on some sort of authentication within your users rather than just letting anybody sign up. But this could be interesting if you sort of take a step back and think, all the things that are going to plug into ActivityPub, like Threads, like Blue Sky Social, and some of the other things that, as an open source network, they kind of need to deal with this kind of stuff fairly early on. Twitter is neck deep in bot, you know, it has been for a very long time, and spammy accounts and things trying to get your account off you. So I feel like they've got an opportunity to do this, and you can defederate. That's one of the things Mastodon can do. A particular spammy instance if it is spamming all your users. But it's something to get a handle on now, and you hope they deal with this before the growing pains. And that, combined with big organizations like the BBC and PBS was the other one that decided to leave Twitter altogether, you know, and move to these more open social media contents, that it can only be a good thing, you hope. Yeah, and you're right that they need to deal with this early on. Because if I remember when Elon bought Twitter, all he kept going on about was all the bot accounts and not not really actually doing anything for what most users would notice. So it'd be interesting to see how they deal with it. I've certainly not been impacted by it, and I am on Mastodon.social, but I've had no issues. That's a good thing. Moving on, uh, the US patent office has confirmed that AI can't hold a patent. Well, good. <laughs> I think is the only thing I can say for this. But the fact that this even went to some sort of court case or, or it had to be investigated, it shouldn't be a surprise that generative AI like an LLM could own a patent to something. Do you reckon the AI submitted its own request to the US Patent Office to ask the question? If it did, it would have been really badly filed. Uh, maybe that's part of the problem. Factually incorrect. Yeah, absolutely. It's referring to some patent that doesn't exist yet and probably got the address wrong in the Patent Office. Anyway, it has ruled that only natural humans can apply to patents. After it denied a petition from a researcher, Stephen Thaler, Thaler added the AI system he created Davis as an inventor in a patent application. A US court upheld the patent office decision. So, good. Move. Yeah, it's amazing. It's even a thing that's reported in news, isn't it? It is madness. It's absolute madness. Another thing that's madness is, and it's just we're just checking on in on this to to confirm the fall, the continuing fall of uh, VMware following the Broadcom acquisition. Last week, we reported on the free desktop client being removed. This week, we're reporting on the free hypervisor being removed. This is a little more traction in sort of the homebrew community. Uh, a YouTube video of a, a group I watch called Serve the Co- Serve the Home, who sort of review little desktop PCs and switches. It's them I found my two and a half gigabyte gigabyte Ethernet switch through, for example, talking that this is going to be a big deal. Lots of server admins get their start in learning about this kind of stuff on their home equipment, and lots of them used uh, the VMware hypervisor for this. So. I really think this is Broadcom cutting off the noses to spite their face. It didn't cost them anything. They just got a slightly more relaxed licensed version of the proper account. People got used to it. Those people could walk into server admin roles, roles and, and corporations. So the little guy's getting hurt on this one. Yeah, it does feel this was a spreadsheet exercise. Somebody's looked at it and they've gone, right, we're going to buy VMware. We're going to cut all the free stuff. And they're just doing it by the numbers. Whereas what they're not seeing is the indirect benefit that some of these things are bringing so it's a shame but you can you can imagine how the conversation's gone they've just literally gone that makes no money let's not spend any effort on it bye so yep. it, yeah it is worrying to see how poor comma handling this and so quickly yep looking at companies that can change their opinions so peloton which announced it was getting rid of apple watch gym kit support has changed its mind now it's not getting rid of apple watch gym kit support so yay peloton well, considering Apple were going to buy them not long ago, <laughs> that was the rumor, wasn't it? But um, 
yeah, this whole gym kit, I've not heard much about it for a long time. I'd forgotten it was a, a thing, but I might have been funny if I was buying something for the home, I probably would want gym kit stuff because then I don't need other apps and services. I can just have it all on my Apple Watch in the in the app, you know, in the uh, workout app. All but works better than some of their other integrations with things. Yeah, this is interesting. I'm think I'm speaking of threads specifically there and radio and masser and all that kind of stuff, which doesn't work at all with HomeKit. The, the the sort of kit support, health kit being the most obvious one, I think, is, is quite well supported. For me as a researcher, I've tried a few times to make use of research kit within the Apple operating systems, and it's not kept very up to date. Whenever I go delving around, you're almost back in Objective-C land to get it to talk to some of the Swift stuff, and that's very off-putting. I don't remember any Objective-C. Lots of square brackets, if I remember correctly. It is a problem Apple do have, though. They're so big and they run so thin that they just, I just don't think they have enough people to keep everything going. And it's frustrating because sometimes, you know, a one-person show or outfit can keep an app more current than Apple can with all of its apps. Whereas it makes you wonder, like, do they not have people working full-time on some of their frameworks and on their apps to just to keep them up-to-date and current? Because... You know, like Apple Music Classical, if it was an indie app, it would have a lot more releases than what it has. But because it's under the big behemoth, you just don't see the the regular little and often updates that you get. Yeah, it's a bit of a shame for them. Apple Music Classical is a perfect example of it not going well, really. You know, the sort of dripped out, very poorly maintained release of Apple Music Classical has not gone well. And I, I think this is another instance of that. You're quite right. And no, no roadmap either of this is when we're going to be doing the, you know... An indie developer will often go, right, I've just done the iPhone, that's my biggest market. I'm then going to do the watch, I'm then going to do the iPad, you know, and you can see them ticking off as, as they go and they share it quite often, whereas obviously you get none of that with Apple. But you look at Mark Warman as a good example of this, or Steve Trevin Smith, you look at them and they've released the new apps for the platforms as the platforms come along. And I understand Apple have got to develop the, the thing as well as the, the, the services and software that's on there. But if an indie developer can manage it, why can't the, the device manufacturer? How hard is it to update, pick something? Terminal, you know, for an iPad. They don't want to, that's one thing, but it's not that hard really, is it? If it's already running on your on the Mac, it's got the same fundamental operating system. All right, the sandbox is slightly different, but Macs are sandboxed these days as well. It's not that big a deal. Agreed. Moving on, Apple appear to have got away with iMessage being classified as a core platform in the EU. We've talked about this a couple of times, but now it's actually confirmed. iMessage is not core platform, Edge isn't core platform, and Bing Search. They also avoid all the regulations that come along with that, confirmed by the EU. I guess it's a blessing and a curse, because, yeah, we're not in the walled garden, but boo, we're not big enough to be in the walled garden. And so they've got to admit that they're not as big as some of their uh, peers. Um, I'm amazed by all of it, to be honest, because Edge is installed on every Windows PC. Who knows what the active user base is? Um, messages, come on. I literally live in messages, and that's the way you get hold of me. But I know I'm an outlier, and I know you're WhatsApp is far bigger. You're definitely an outlier. The requirement for iMessage to be a core platform would be it has to serve at least 45 million EU users monthly and be controlled by a firm with at least 75 billion euros. So they they passed the 75 billion euros. But clearly, most EU users... Don't. There's a lot of Android users in the EU. But you, you just, if you'd have said to me, are there more than 45 million EU users in the iMessage users in the EU? I'd have gone, yeah, easily, surely. But obviously not. They said it's 7% of their revenue, right? Yeah, for app stores, yeah. 
you think even 7% of the EU population must be quite a lot. I'll have to do some quick Googling and see if I can figure out. No, what it's not 7% for. of the EU, it's 7% of their user base, you know, Apple's global user base. True, but that's not a lot of people globally. Is it? Most of the users in America, for example, I think it's yeah, about 50 okay. 50 in the UK, you know. So it, it, it I've said before, it depends where in Europe you go for, for my sort of... Yeah, you see pockets uh, of it. Just to see pockets of it. So Spain, nobody was an iOS user. Sweden, everybody was an iOS user. You know what I mean? So it could be related to you know gross domestic product or what the average income of your household, uh, of what your population is, or I'm just going to nicer bits because I'm there as an academic and I'm you know visiting conferences and things like that. So there's a lot of variables in that, isn't there? Yeah, I'm just amazed they've got 45 million across the whole of the EU, though. But hey ho, I think they do. Just nobody uses it because, like I say, you're an outlier. I'm definitely an outlier. Um, so next up, then we've got potential new HomePod references in TVOS 17.4. Um, surely there's an event coming, and we're going to get. I know we're going to talk about it, but we're going to get absolutely everything at this event. I reckon. I don't think we'll get this at this event. I mean, we'll talk about the event later, but this is specifically we're talking about a HomePod with a screen. So a HomePod with an iPad mini nailed to the top of it is is sort of the thinking. It won't run iPad OS. It'll run some variant of Home OS, I presume. Yeah, I think this is a Frankenstein device. You're going to take a HomePod. You're going to put basically TV OS inside it with an iPad mini screen on the front of it. And there you go. You know, you're not having a full-blown iPad with everything it does, but you're having... In essence, TVOS. I I think this is kind of cool. It's cool, but I won't buy one. It's cool, and I may or may not buy one. You like your home pods, though. I do like my home pods. Apart from when I go, hey, thingy majig, play me some music I like, and it it was playing Taylor Swift this morning, and I was like, I don't even know what this is. <laughs> I had to ask it what sort who sings this because I didn't know. But it it seems slightly for me on that play play music. It's not playing music I like. No, this isn't an issue. Everybody likes Taylor Swift. It's a fact. But it's not stuff I listened to in the past, so why it's put it on. Maybe it's trying to correct me. No, no, no. You don't understand. Everybody likes Taylor Swift. I've got nothing against Taylor Swift, but it's just not stuff I listen to. You've just got it wrong. Everybody, The HomePod's not wrong. You can't beat the algorithm, Chris. Everybody likes Taylor Swift. But I just, I've had this a couple of times. I think I said to you before, it was playing Britney Spears last time I said play somewhere like, and I was like, where's all this come from? Because it's not from my musical history so I, I, I something is broken with the home pod there but i do like my home pods and i use them a lot yeah they're unreliable they occasionally pipe up and then don't and i'll stick to my sonos equipment thank you very much no that is fair enough but i'm sticking with the home pods for now so i'm fair interested enough. casually in a home pod with a screen just to see what it's like but let's see let's see what they come out with uh, so, I'm going to go off on a very, very slight tangent. Uh, I occasionally bend things towards uh, healthcare rules and IT type stuff, as I have done before with a Palantir deal uh, in the in the UK. And I just thought this was three interesting stories where these sort of worlds collide. The first one absolutely blows my mind. And this is a story on the register about Dutch insurance agencies demanding pictures from breast cancer patients to be sent in. So, despite the fact this is explicitly not allowed under Dutch law, the insurance companies are demanding that they get to see these images to prove that they had, you know, some form of operation on the breast. And I, I, it just blows my mind that this is something anybody could ask for. Yeah, that, I'm not comfortable with that one iota. That's not right. No, surely all you need is a letter from your doctor to say, you know, that's all you need. You shouldn't never, ever have to send 
pictures of your surgery to your insurance company. Completely agree. Anyway, it's a horrendous story, and I thought it was worth highlighting because it is such a horrendous story. In a slightly, well, differently horrendous story, apparently half the population have had their data nabbed in a massive security breach in France. 33 million people had their data pinched as a consequence of this. Juniper Juniper network leak. Bad. That's not good, is it? There's so much data leakage going on at the moment. Well, you think if you're in any sort of position in a, in a company to talk on your cybersecurity, highlighting articles such as this might not be a bad thing to do. Uh, it's a fair point, and I, I am the face of cybersecurity where I work. But this is ridiculous. This is just so much data. It's re- it's just yeah, a ridiculous amount. I can't even comprehend. And here's the thing. The source of the leak was Juniper's support portal, which was apparently found by a 70-year-old intern to allow searches on the name of any customer and then to produce a list of devices that had acquired and registered for Juniper. Juniper has fixed the flaw, which appears to stem from improper configuration of Salesforce software as a service portal. So there's a lot in that, you know, how that got put out, the fact that it's actually a flaw in a subsidiary or, or a superset of the of the software that they're buying. This is really not good. 33 million people's medical details is a huge breach. And again, as we've said a few times, you take that and you take the last password dump and you take the various other massive security, 23andMe, presumably there's lots of French citizens make use of that as well. You know an awful lot about people based on all these leaks that have happened you know, subsequently over the years, and it's only getting worse. That stuff will pitch up on the dark web instantly. Yeah, you can really start building up a profile of somebody as you, with all these leaks. The more more services somebody's been subscribed to that's then had a leak, you can understand a lot about them: passwords, dates of birth. You know, identity theft can start coming in here. Yeah, and the third one, and this is sort of healthcare adjacent more than anything else, and it's Microsoft have won a deal with the Welsh NHS worth almost half a billion pounds. Now that's a big deal. That's a lot of money. So a lot of desktops in the NHS. As someone that used to support Microsoft desktops in the NHS, and I know how dependent the NHS is on Microsoft software. It's a bit weird, really. You think, why should they be? Uh, I know for a fact in Wales that the big patient administration system is actually a homegrown thing. Um, it's not a Microsoft platform that it runs on. It runs on Windows computers, obviously. It's you know, But it's basically, a, a, or used to be, a sort of VMware sort of thing where you would remote into a, an instance of the PaaS and you'd get it for your hospital and off you'd go. So... That the a lot of the core systems aren't necessarily Windows dependent, but the secretarial staff are. The sort of day-to-day operations of sending report, appointment letters or writing up reports on surgery or, or or that kind of stuff. Things come together in Excel spreadsheets. All of them run Windows desktop. So it's a lot of workers in the NHS, and if you think it's like that in Wales, what's it like for the rest of the UK? Yeah, that's a fair point. It's a lot of money, though, isn't it? Especially in an organisation that's probably not brimming with lots of money right now because we've heard all about how how they're struggling in the NHS uh, trusts. That's a ridiculous amount of money, isn't it? It's impressive, though, that they write or used to write their own core platform because that can be significantly cheaper because certainly I've been through it where you've moved from an on-premise solution or a local solution that's been developed to an off-the-shelf solution, the costs spiral very quickly. They do, and you've got to be careful with patient data, as we've just seen from the French example. It's, it is an interesting sort of concept, and every so often you hear about you know German local government and things like that trying to go a more open source route with things, and some of them come back to Microsoft platforms, because it's not just the 
end users that expect to see what they see but it's the people that have been supporting that software for years and what they're comfortable with. But as you've just said, if you're a server administrator in the Welsh NHS and you're running, I don't know, VMware, you know, on a Windows server platform or or, or, or something like that, there's a huge amount of money wrapped up in these deals. And, it, it, you know, a more broadly fair competition between various software vendors, as we've seen in, in the English NHS and Palantir and, and NHS England, might be a fairer way to do this if it rather than just always you know buying blue and buying microsoft again it's hard to change vendor though isn't it this, you end up with vendor locking quite easily i said at the start of this podcast it's the cost of buying out you need to ask yeah that's a good question yeah absolutely this has just reminded me to put something into media for later though that i want to talk about tell us about the next story Ah, so this is the european court of human rights and they are banning weakening end-to-end encryption Thank you very much. It took somebody <laughs> to come out and say it. So this was where EU was looking at having a backdoor into end-to-end encryption. And finally, somebody, they've gone, no, you can't do this. So that can only be a good thing. I know here in, in Britain, they were looking at doing it too, or in the UK, should I say. I don't know, when, when do we get an answer on that? Is that soon or is, is this going to apply to us here in the UK as well? Well, it is exactly what they were trying to do. And with the whole thing about Apple saying they'll pull out of the UK if they have to publish software patches to the government first rather than doing it. And I don't think there's been a decision yet. I think it's still floating around the House of Lords somewhere. Uh, that will probably be there for a long, long time, just, just brimming away. But no, it's it's good that this has been stopped because it does just, it just completely undoes the whole idea of end-to-end encryption if it's not end-to-end encrypted. It's absolute madness. And again, this is a, this, to Apple's point, would be this is why you push back against some lawmakers because they make bad law. I don't think that's mostly what they're doing with the DMA, but you know there are definitely instances where you can make bad law. So next up then we've got Musk's X. X is just a rubbish name, formerly Twitter. Apparently it's sold checkmarks to Hezbollah and other terrorist groups. Just, uh, just the whole Twitter X thing. I'm amazed it's still even going at this point. I thought it would have been kaput by now but maybe they have to sell stuff to Hezbollah just to keep just to keep the lights on and the servers running but it's just bizarre well we know the advertisers are running away don't we and he, he's presumably personally bankrolling it to a huge amount and I don't think we need to spend long on this story but apparently if you spend a thousand dollars a month you become a verified organization or individuals can have it for two hundred dollars a month a month and if you're a terrorist organization maybe that's one way you get your social media message out there that's bonkers isn't it um I'm going to have nothing to do with it. I don't even know if I've still got an account. I thought, were they all getting deleted? I can't remember. I think if you don't use it for 18 months or something like that, they get deleted. So mine will be the same. It will go eventually. Yeah, I don't need to hold on to my handle. I barely used it. So I just liked it because it was a good stream of tech news and, as we talked about earlier, other news. But we've, should we move on, I think? Cause it just I think let's move on. I mean, just to your point on Formula One, quickly and we'll a slightly cheerier thing, is there's a, an account called Sportsbots XYZ that will take the tweets and convert them into Mastodon uh, versions. Mm. You can at least still consume the media, certainly on the MotoGP side of it. So I'd be very surprised if there wasn't a Formula One equivalent for that. Yeah, there probably is. I'll be honest, I just haven't gone and looked for more stuff. Occasionally what I do is I just follow other people that that come up or get boosted. Um, And every now and again, I'll go off and have a look for a bit more content. But um, I I should make an effort and have a look. Definitely. Do you want to tell us about a new Leica Q3 camera? Yeah, so I didn't want to end on talking about Twitter as our last news item, so I thought I'd just stick this one in at the end. So I do not own a Leica camera. 
but I've always wanted one. Um, and I was just looking at this, and it looks very similar. This is the Leica Q3's just come out. It's a full frame camera, it's got a fixed lens. I just think it looks stunning. It's a beautiful thing. It looks modern, but yet classic, if that makes any sense. And it looks just like the Q2 that, that came before it. So I then went and had a look at Q2's as well. And they're not cheap Leica cameras, but they look stunning. So this particular one is £5,000. All of a sudden, Vision Pro doesn't seem too bad. The Q2 is about £3,000 can hand refurbished so it just shows you they really hold their value um and if you want some cameras that you know five six years old they, they still you know are selling for a thousand pounds a piece so they really do hold their value um but i just think it's a beautiful thing i really like their website it's very apple-esque their website very nice design it actually looks like they've got a good companion app that goes with you like a camera but I'm just just thought it was nice to, if you want to go and look at a nice bit of hardware and occasionally we talk about like teenage engineering when they release um, some new equipment. I think Leica's in, in this boat and some of the photography on it's uh, stunning. But yeah, I've always wanted a Leica, can never afford one. You could buy, there's, I can't remember, is it Oppo phones have Leica cameras built in? Oh, I'm not going to buy a phone that's not an iPhone though, am I? I'm just saying, you could have a Leica lens at least. Leica do actually do like an Instamatic camera for about £350 here in the UK. But the specs are not like great as you would expect. But it's kind of a cheap way of getting a Leica. But I, I really fancy one. And I was half debating, do I sell, because I've got a bit of gear, do I sell it and, and trade trade it in to get, to get not this model, I'd get a second-hand, much cheaper model. But I'm debating it. So I, I might actually talk about this in the main show. I wasn't going to. I'm going skiing next week. I have various movie cameras and things to to we should maybe have a very quick discussion about for main show we can then move it to follow up the week after so while you tell us a little bit about media i will try and add some things into the main show okay let's do that so first up then we've got amazon prime i think there's a theme here with some of the media the stuff that's going on so amazon prime are dropping dolby vision and atmos unless you pay more now tv which i recently signed up for for, for the incoming formula one season do something similar you can buy a boost pack We've seen it with Netflix where you pay more to get the ultra or the 4K picture quality. And then we've also got Disney Plus. I think they announced their increase back in November. We talked about it, but it's just hit me now. I've had an email from from Disney saying, you're going to pay £109 per year because I, I normally do the, the per year subscription. And that's gone up from £79. I think I was comfortable when it was under 100 But seeing £109... I was questioning how much do I want Disney or maybe I'll, I'll do what I do with Disney Plus like I do with Netflix where I just buy it for a few months, cancel it, wait for the catalogue to refresh, cancel it. And, and like I said, I do that for Netflix, but it's getting expensive to be a, a cable cutter and I think it's getting even more expensive, which is something we've discussed before. Yeah, I'd go along with this. Um, Amazon Prime has caught me this week. I, I said last time I'd got the warning at the start of Amazon Prime that you're going to get adverts, uh, and I went, fine, whatever. I, I'm not paying anymore. I feel like I already paid too much for Amazon Prime for the amount of content I watch on there. Fair enough, we, they might get it back in what we order uh, as part of the Prime subscription. But if they're going to start nickel and diming this up like this, it, it does become a pain point, and uh, to the point that, do I need all these media streaming services? How much Netflix do I watch? How much Disney do I watch? Could I drop in for a month? binge the things I want to binge and then get out again. I probably could if I focused. Yeah, it's possibly different in your house. You've got older children than I have. Mine don't. We don't watch a huge amount in Disney. My, my son's having a Simpsons kick at the moment, but equally, once that's over, if I cancelled it, 
I think think it would be be fine. I did mention to some friends of mine that I do the Netflix, keep it for a couple of months, get rid of it. He looked mortified that I wasn't permanently subscribed to Netflix because I guess that's how he watches a lot of content on there. But I think it's the way to go at the moment. Why not pick and choose uh, when you want it? So it's interesting seeing that they're really starting to take things away and then upsell you on them and introduce adverts. I think we're going to see more of it. I wonder whether Apple will do something similar or whether they will just leave it as Apple TV+. Plus. I think while you're the small guy, you're the loss leader. That's what Netflix did for a long time. It's what Amazon Prime did when it started out until they got to enough. Either they were losing enough money on the content or they felt that they could get away with it, that they took people on the series that they brought along. So for now, I think Apple won't. Instead, they're just increasing the prices of their subscription anyway aren't they you know they've done that with a apple apple one plus i forget what it's called apple premium account anyway that went up five or six pounds per month you know there is a there is a consequence for these things so i think apple won't directly increase the price of it to those of us that are subscribers other than increasing the price overall but the rest of them absolutely are and it's a problem it's going to cause a rise in piracy i confidently predict as people cut out of these services and the odd thing comes along that people talk about they're going to go back to looking at alternative means of getting this content and i don't think that's right that was the great promise of netflix is that piracy fell when everything is in one place for a reasonable price yeah it's i don't know i don't like where it's all going but maybe we've had everything far too cheap and they've they've got us all in i don't know I disagree. I disagree. When I think about it now, I'm paying for ITV, Channel 4, Netflix, Disney, Amazon, Apple. Is that it? I'm, I'm missing something, am I? No, I think that's it. Oh, my, my MotoGP streaming service as well, which is horrendously expensive. I think it's 200 quid a year. So, yeah. Oh, I'd, I'd take that. I'm paying £26 for now TV, which gives me the whole of Sky Sports. So there's more than just Formula 1. I've got Amazon Prime. I'll just look that up. That's about £100 a year. No, this is just the MotoGP subscription. That's not everything else as well. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow, okay. And then Netflix, though, is what, £20 a month? So that's £200 on, yeah. on its own. Yeah, it's not worth it. Let's move on. It's making me depressed about the money that's coming out of my bank account. I've watched two things this week. I watched The Pirates of Silicon Valley, which is a, an older movie based on Steve Jobs and Bill Gates, based on a book called The Fire in the Valley, I think it was called, which charts the sort of dawn of Microsoft and Apple. It's not as good as I remember. It's got Michael, it's got Noah Wiley and Anthony Michael Hall as Steve Jobs and Bill Gates, both well cast, both charming actors. I hadn't, I don't think the first time I watched it, I realised they did not pull any punches about what, I'm going to use the word dick, Steve Jobs was, about his daughter, about the foundation of the company, about how challenging he could be at work with. And, how evil they portray Bill Gates, frankly, who was in the right place at the right time. Not a great film, but I did quite enjoy it. Oh, I'm gutted. For a moment, I was going to go and see if I could get on Apple TV and, and buy a copy. But if you're not raving about it, maybe I won't rush to see if I can it's, watch it. I'll tell you what it is, though. It's better than that Michael Fassbender slash Danny Boyle film that came out a few years ago that's one of the most dull things I've ever watched. It was better than that. Mm, but not great, though. I, you haven't inspired me to watch it. No, I wouldn't rush to watch it. It's fine. It's it's a bit sort of public service documentary type more than anything else. To me, you watch something like this. The, the stand-up, standout thing is the Blackberry movie. That's how you do a sort of retrospective retelling of how a business falls apart or, or what happens during a business. Same as The Big Short with Margot Robbie and Steve Carell told the whole housing boom and bust thing that happened. That's how you do this kind of, those kinds of films. This is not... Jobs was not, and I haven't seen the Ashton Kutcher one, but I presume it is not either. Interesting that you 
rate Margot Robbie for being in the short. What was it called? The Big Short. The Big, the big Short. Because she's in it for like five seconds, sat in a hot tub. <laughs> you forget all the other, all the other zero. I said, I said Steve Carell as well. <laughs> no, that's fantastic. But I think something like the Blackberry film, though, takes a very techie subject. But as she makes it accessible, you could easily get to sit and watch it with your partner because everybody knows about how big Blackberries were. Probably nobody really appreciates how quickly they fell and just disappeared in, into nothingness after after the iPhone came out. So, yeah, I'm disappointed. That nobody's ever really done a good Apple film. I think it, for some reason it seems to be one that people have struggled to do. Yeah, they're probably still too current a company. The other thing that's very disappointing is the Marvels follow-up to Captain Marvel and Disney+. Plus. It didn't do very well at the cinema. It was lots of reshoots. Three quite interesting characters. The real problem with it is, is A, it was a bit dull, and B, it very much depended on you having consumed about 18 hours of Marvel TV content as well as the movie stuff. Who's got the time for that? Yeah, definitely not for me then, because I am so far behind on the Marvel world. Um, yeah, no good. And at this point, I don't think it's worth investing in it. You, have you got any media stuff to report on? I've got one coming up at the end for my thing of the week, so I will save it for then. Fair enough. Moving on, very rapidly clip through games. Just an interesting story on a game called Immortals of Aviem, which neither of us had any interest in. Uh, I did see a couple of the sort of streamers I follow on YouTube review it. Uh, this game, which is sort of a first-person shooter with a magic theme as opposed to the usual guns-type theme, was built in the new Unreal Engine 5, I want to say. It looked amazing, beautiful game. They spent $125 million on it, and it died almost straight away because nobody bought it. And I just think that's... It's a shed load of money for an amazing looking game that was all right. I think I don't think it was any better than all right. But you know they're trying to build a triple A title from the ground up, and it just went nowhere. And it shows how hard it is to a get into the market of triple A shooters like your Battlefields or your Call of Duties or, or or these kinds of things, and how poorly it can be received. I gotta say, you d- you don't know your market very well by trying to do something unique like this. They want guns and ammo, which is sad. There probably is. There's got to be a market for a magic game, but it's probably not a hundred twenty-five pound million investment market. That's the problem, isn't it? No, and you look at the the review from uh, Rock Paper Shotgun, which is where the article is, is referenced. Alice found things to enjoy in her Immortals of Avium review, while also finding it repetitive, shallow, and lacking punch. So, you know, if you're not if you can spend one hundred twenty-five million and make a very average game, that's that's bad. I mean, you can buy a Stardew Valley which did not cost $125 million, was a passion product project, or a threes, or indeed a Slay the Spire, because I've got to mention them, it's contractual contractual obligation at this point. They didn't cost that, and you get far better return on your investment. So, interesting. Yeah, I completely agree with you, and sometimes it's the underdog games that perform better, that haven't had the big budgets, that are a lot more aggressive, that, that actually pay off. Totally. Another game that occasionally games get remastered. I know you like the old remastered game and Tomb Raiders 1 to 3 are now available in a remaster. Uh, Do these tickle your fancy? Tomb Raider 1 does just because I played it when it came out and it was new, it was different. But I was looking at some of the screen grabs and yeah, it hasn't moved on that much Um, because I still remember some of it. Obviously, they've got a side by side in the link and it's improved, but... there's only so much you can do to that game, I think, to to improve it. But some some of the textures and the two D like fun, you know, fauna and stuff and trees, it did. It, it was great at the time, but it obviously hasn't aged well. I I would be tempted to play it for a bit of nostalgia, maybe if it's on sale or something. 
I don't think the graphics are the problem. I don't mind the graphics looking a bit chunky. It's a remaster. It needs to look something like the original in the same way your Command & Conquer remaster that you've talked about a few times has the spirit of the original without being exactly the original. This particular case, they've seriously messed up the controls, it would seem. So it, it, why take a control set that's well understood? People are going to buy this game only want the original feel to it. That's what their their muscle memory will be about for playing a game like this. So I don't understand why you'd mess with that. No, that's true. I, if this is on sale on the Switch, I'd probably pick it up just to have a go. Fair enough. Because I think uh, it would run well on the Switch. So it's, it's probably the, the good console for that. Steam Deck? Come on. Oh, well, the Steam Deck, that's fair. Yeah, yeah. you probably get it on sale on Steam far more likely than you will on uh, on your Switch. That's fair. I see. I think my Steam Deck is my is kind of my strategy device. That I plug into my keyboard and mouse because it's my portable PC. Speaking of portable PCs, how's that Playdate working out for you? Because you can now just buy them without a waiting list. Yeah, I know. I really need to fire it up and have a go with it. It's, it hasn't been turned on for this year. Serious question: Is it the screen? Is it the fact that there's no backlight that is sort of part of the problem with that? I think device? that is part of the problem. Yeah. I think the screen, maybe color. Sadly. Uh, it's a great I think, device. But. but this is it. We have expectations now. And is it, isn't it interesting for not a lot more money how much more value you've had out of the Steam Deck and Nintendo Switch? Because nice, big, bright screen, the graphics wouldn't matter so much, but you need a backlight. You need a backlight. I completely agree. My son was talking about Switch the other day. He says, I'm playing Fortnite on it and it keeps crashing. It says it's out of memory or something. And I go, well, you've got the latest Switch. He goes, yeah, but we've had it for eight years. I was like, yep, still the latest one. <laughs> like They haven't superseded it. So it is yeah. interesting. I think the Switch, in hindsight, was incredible value for money. Yes, it cost £300, say. But the longevity of it as a console is, is amazing. The, and they still bought games late last year. They've got some coming out this year. And this is first-party games. So it's a, it, fair play to Nintendo. I know it's underpowered and it's not for everybody. But some of the games you can get on it are fantastic. It's very Nintendo. Bring a console out and absolutely flog it to death. Look what they did with the three D, uh, the three DS. The many three Ds, because there were lots, weren't there? There were lots from the original one down to the three DS XL. They did a proper three D one, but well, it wasn't proper three D. It had a fairly dodgy three D sort of effect on it. It wasn't a Vision Pro. The Wii hung around for ages. The Wii U was really just the Wii again, sort of redressed. So fair play, Nintendo. All you've done is bang a slightly better screen on it, and you've kept selling the same thing. I wonder if they're too scared to bring out a successor because they have very much a TikTok relationship with new hardware, don't they? They do, but the games always bring them through. True, the games do, and the the Switch has got some amazing games. So I'm still enjoying my Switch from time to time, and it's probably the right console I should have bought and not bothered with others because I just don't have the time. Fair play. I had all the thoughts about that, but they don't matter right now. Should we go and do a quick main show? Yeah, let's do it. So... We're going to talk about three things. We were only going to talk about two things, but I decided to talk about cameras as well at the last minute, as you've heard live on the show. The first one is this. In the last week, there's been a couple of stories about generative AI for video. And this sort of dropped the first thing I'd seen with a bit of software from Apple, or at least a prototype bit of software from Apple that's only available internally, called Keyframer, that will generate an AI and animation from a still image and text. So this is an immediate development of what we talked about last week, where they could show a picture and you'd say, make the sky a little bit bluer, make the handrail a little bit more orange, and it would respond to that. And I thought that sounded quite interesting. It's probably going to be done in quite an Apple way on a, on images on your device using you know all the power of what's on the on, on there. And interesting that it's probably going to be slightly open source as well. Did you see this? 
Yeah, I did see it. And it it's interesting that Apple are playing a little bit out in the open, which I think we did dis- discuss a few weeks ago. But they also haven't dropped anything saying that iOS 18 won't be the biggest release, won't do AI as we're expecting it. So I wonder if there's some truth in those rumours because they haven't openly come out and combated saying, no, that's not what, what we're doing at all. So it does feel like Apple are getting comfortable with AI. So it's going to be interesting to see what this year is going to bring. Maybe this is the year of AI for everybody other than Microsoft. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm curious to know what Apple's stance is going to be on it because they're obviously... You know, there's that create an image in Photoshop and you to be slaved away on it, or you can just tell the computer to do it and sit back. So it's going to be interesting to see how, how they package all this up. I spent quite a lot of last week trying to make an infographic for work. So it's 90 seconds long. I sat there in DaVinci Resolve, might be my app of the week some week, and using Apple Motion to generate the 3D motion effects. I had to look at Blender on the way, which is a way of doing 3D graphics, and is easily the most complicated looking program I've ever seen in my life when I opened up. So I immediately shut Blender down again. But I can just about go by with Motion. It's like Keynote on steroids, really. So I was quite proud of my thing in the end. And then this Apple keyframe thing came along during it. And I was thinking to myself, I could really use that right now. When I'm trying to make a visualization of what I mean by pseudonymization and how codes are replaced and how names are replaced and all this kind of stuff. And I'm trying to think of a, an easy way to display that so people will understand what I'm talking about. Being able to describe that to a, a, an AI and it generate that based on, and then iterate based on what I'm saying next and clarifying what I mean and all the rest of it would have been tremendously powerful. And I don't think the keyframer thing does that, but at the same time, or immediately afterwards, OpenAI of ChatGPT fame introduced the Sora text-to-video AI model. Did you see this? I hadn't seen it until you said about it, and then I had to look at the Verge article. Mind blowing here. I don't. What I don't understand with open AIs, how are they doing so much? We talk about Apple not being able to maintain some apps, and then here we got here we've got open AI. They've said they're bored kerfuffle late last year, and yet they just seem to be releasing stuff every other month, if not every other week. And I'm amazed they've got AI doing all of this because obviously they're also powering Copilot, ChatGPT, and now that you can what make a video with AI, like, this is insane. And it's absolutely incredible. So there's two links in the show notes. There's the Sora uh, article on the Verge, as you've discussed, and I've linked Marquez Brownlee's take on it as well. Uh, And as usual, Marquez does a fantastic job of talking through where we were a year ago, and he starts with the Will Smith eating spaghetti AI model, which, if you haven't seen, is... I mean, it's slightly amazing for how it's recognisably Will Smith and he's eating spaghetti, but it's very wrong if you look at how he's eating it. I mean, it's, it's, it's very wrong to where we are just one year later. And, you know, some of the images and the videos that they go through uh, in the Verge article that he goes through as well are, are amazing. And it's not till you watch them on a second pass you realise what's wrong with them. And without spoiling too much, you watch, for example, the way some of the actors, in inverted commas, walk, the legs aren't right. You know, they never look right when they're actually sort of moving around. And they're very bad at hands as well. But in general, on a first pass, to generate something like an infographic... These are almost movie-looking quality. And this is just you describing the scene. It's just mind-blowing. It is. And, all right, there might be some minor issues with it at the moment, but it's only going to get better, isn't it? You know, it's it's going to go one way. And I think that's the thing with AI at the moment. It's still new for all of it, but it's an amazing start place. But it, I just don't get how open AI do so much in so many different areas. They're just, I don't know, because they're doing the whole of Copilot for Microsoft. 
they're doing they've got you know making 2d images they've got now doing videos it's mind-blowing but they've got ai <laughs> so is it self-fulfilling well no but i think if you're happy with it and embedded in the ecosystem you can get it to help quite a lot yeah true yeah i guess you know, this is your thing. You've built it. The models we've got access to in ChatGPT 3.5 and ChatGPT 4 are the tip of the iceberg to what they'll be using internally so they can develop the next thing. So presumably, as they're doing this, they're making use of the state of the art for what they have internally. And everything that's falling out of that, be it Copilot, be it DALI, be it the Sora thing, are, are what follows along. So what they have is more advanced than what we have. What we have, we want to get better. We have to pay them for. Microsoft certainly have paid them. It's it's fascinating times. And again, Marquez says it well. This was a year. Where will we be this time next year? I mean, it's more terrifying for those of us that are a bit skeptical about some of the implications of, of the large language model and some of the AI type technologies that are coming along here. But it, it, it's a time of amazing change. Yeah, and um, I've just got Copilot at work, so I'm looking forward to trying that out. I've got some visualizations of data to do, so I've got the raw tabular data, and I'm going to try that out. That's something for tomorrow or the day after, and I've got some presentations to write. So I am going to try and use it. I am worried that we've had it for a few weeks, but you don't instantly think to use it, if you know, to click the Copilot button, but I think that's just building up confidence with it. And yeah, I'm keen to explore it a little bit more, I think. So we should keep watching what happens in this space, I think. Absolutely. And if you haven't seen it, go and have a look at the Sora videos because they're really quite remarkable. Wrong, but remarkable. Yeah, but it's good to keep an eye on what, what is happening in this space. Absolutely is. Do you want to tell us about the rumoured Apple March event? Yeah, so apparently we've got a March event coming and they're going to release everything that I want. So um, I'm quite looking forward to it. So there's a link to the Mac Rumours article but uh, sorry, it's the nine, nine to five Mac article with everything they know so far. And it lists obviously when previous events have been. And to be fair to Apple, they kind of have a have a routine, but equally they also do things in their own time. So, you know, the, the events have ranged anything from 8th of March to the 20th of April. So some point in that sort of six week window, we should get an event. And the rumors are we could have new iPad Pros and new iPad Airs. And we may get new MacBook Airs, which would make sense. And we may get a new iPhone color. We've had that a few years in the past. And will we get Vision Pro in more countries? So I was then going to just go back around and tick some of these off. So Vision Pro in more... Sorry, go on. I think we'll get a Mac Mini as well. I think we'll get an M3 Mac Mini. Yeah, so I wouldn't be surprised if we'd get a Mac Mini. I've also noticed you displays are on sale in a few places. So are they offloading their channel stock? You could see it though if they released a Mac Mini or a Mac Studio that actually we're going to refresh the display at the same time. Or they might not do that at all. We, we carry on with the displays. But I, I could see Vision Pro come to more countries because they've said it's before WWDC. Even if they don't do it there and then in, in this March event, they may go coming on the first of may for example you'll be able to buy it in non-eu countries here probably at the moment um because i'm assuming the vision pro app store is not linked to the new eu dma laws i don't know how all that works new iphone color that may well happen they've done that for the last three years by the looks of it so it will just be the iphone 15 in a color that very few people buy because we're six months into the life of that product and what horrible pastel color will they put the iphone 15 in or maybe they actually put it in their colours in a colour that you could have had back in September, and then MacBook Air. I think we'd all expect the 
13 and 15 inch just to get the M3 basically and largely stay the same. Fantastic devices as we've discussed. And then the iPad hopefully will be the main event because none of the iPads got updated last year. No, but only because they haven't been touched in, in the longest time. There's talk of the iPad Pro going to an OLED screen. Sounds very expensive. Don't know what the size is going to be. There was talk of getting a bigger iPad or will it stay at the 12.9 inch and the 11 inch? And then there's also talk of the Air getting updated, but that now getting two sizes of screens. So I don't know whether the iPad Pro will go up and and serve a bigger, you know, a higher end market. And then the Air will fulfill the current iPad Pro market, if that makes sense, for screen size. And will they update the iPad mini or the regular iPad? Remains to be seen. So quite a lot going on in that space. Hopefully the Pro would, you know, get an OLED screen, get the M3 chip. There's talk of it having new keyboards in line with the the basic iPad that came out 18 months ago. Horizontal webcam on it, maybe. More than one port, there was talk of. So everything's up there. Or they may just release exactly the same thing with an M3 chip in it like they did last time. So I, th- I think it's quite an interesting event to see what's going to come out. You know, if they do the Mac Studio, Mac Mini, will we get USB-C keyboards and mice, which we all thought were coming last year? Could they do the AirPods Max they need doing? You know, there's, there's there's lots of them to release, I think. So it's going to be interesting to see what comes out. But as we know, they don't release everything all in one go. We all, never get everything that's been potentially rumoured. So it's going to be good. I think it, we are due a refresh of, of equipment. I was in the Apple store just last week killing some time with my kids while they were playing um, Angry Birds on, on the maps. I was telling them they were playing Angry Birds on a £2,500 laptop. They were a little surprised. Um, but there was, there was nothing for me to go and have a look at and a play with because I'd seen everything that, that was in there. So um, I'm hoping some good stuff's coming. Yeah, that's interesting. So I'll deal with a couple of my thoughts and then we'll come back to the iPads. I hadn't realized the Mac Studio wasn't an M3 yet. I thought they'd moved that to an M3. So I went away and looked, and an M3, a Mac Studio with an M2 Ultra, and it's 4,199 quid. So there you go. There's your Apple Vision Pro. <laughs> Makes it look like a bargain. And I bet it's a great desktop computer if you're in the market for one. But no, they haven't done that, and obviously the Mac Pro hasn't been done yet. So it's really the desktops haven't been done. Will they even yeah. do the Mac Pro? Has anybody bought it? I don't I think anybody's bought it. I get, again, I agree with you. I think if you want a powerful Mac desktop, you get a, a Mac Studio. It does make me think now, I'm reversing my opinion on the M3 Mac Mini, that maybe they'll do a separate Mac-focused one and they'll sort of bump them. I don't know. To me, this is all going to be about the, AirPods, the iPads as much as anything else. I think we'll have definitely have new iPads. I think we'll have a new pencil to go with a redesigned thing because part of the problem of moving that camera is where the magnets attach the pencil on. Uh, and I think that's why the latest iPads didn't support the newest pencil. They still supported the old pencil, so you needed to daisy chain a lightning pencil into a, a USB-C one or whichever way around it was, USB uh, lightning in the USB-C uh, to, in order to charge the thing. So they must design an Apple Pencil 3. It must work across a greater device, a range of devices, and they may as well throw M3s into the iPads when they're at it. I don't think they'll cost as much as they were predicting that they would because they've seen how the markets react. And let's face it, sales of the iPad aren't great anyway. They need to do something a little bit different to get you to upgrade your M1 Mac uh, iPad or me or anybody else on the pro side of it. I think the Air's in an okay place, but should be upgraded with OLED screens and all the rest of it. It's already got an M1, so it makes sense to do that too. But they need to harmonize that line. They need to sort out the pencil, and they need to sort out the keyboard story. So if they do all those things, that's great. I hope that's good enough to get the iPad through so they can get to a point where they can evaluate the software again. Because again, 
the Vision Pro throws into stark relief how poor the software experiences on the iPad. A Vision Pro, alright, it's twice the price. Depending on which iPad you get. You can tile the windows where you want. It runs largely iPad software. It's running a slightly better version of the chip that's in the iPad. No, no, you can get an iPad with an M2 and that's what's in the Apple Vision Pro. So they need to sort out the software story on the iPad. And better iPads with a consistent lineup with a working pencil would be a great step along the path to doing that. I don't know if they ever will. Maybe that's me wish casting. So I think slightly better iPads, definitely an improved pencil. Otherwise, what are you doing, Apple? <laughs> you know, uh, and sort out the keyboards because they're apparently unreliable as well. I think that hinge, this everything that's on the, the, the top end keyboard, it's too expensive. I don't think that'll change, but it's too complicated. I mean, your other port in an iPad could just be an improved port on the back of that case. Let's face it, the rumor mill might have that wrong. But that's my feeling is that they'll definitely do that. And I agree, it would be nice if they did the MacBook Air as well because it's their big seller, but that's my feeling on it. Yeah, I, I think you're not a million miles away. The big keyboard, I'm trying to think what the name of it is, the, mag keyboard, the magic keyboard with the trackpad and what have you on it is a keyboard but it is unreliable um, i've certainly had to replace it a couple of times the port on it is useless because it's a slow port that takes little charge so i certainly think there's a lot they can do there i'd be honest i'm just put off by the the potential cost of what this might be for me to replace it and will it be much different to the experience i have today so i'm curious to see what they do but i'm a little little skeptical because i largely use my keyboard and mouse on my desk i've got a 5k studio display on the thing so i'm not actually using the ipad that much i'm not traveling as much as i used to so i'm probably 50 50 whereas maybe a year ago if they you said there's gonna be an m3 one it's coming out it could have new keyboards new cameras i'd probably jump up and down for it but let me review that view that statement once once we've seen what they come out with I mean, they have said part of this will be a bigger trackpad on the on the, the, the new keyboard case. What is the point? <laughs> the point is you can lift your hand up and poke the screen. There's enough space on that trackpad to do almost everything. It's a really good trackpad on the case. It's the reliability. I don't think just making it a little bit bigger so it looks even more like a MacBook when it's in the case is a particularly useful thing to do. No, agreed. I'm curious. I am curious on it. I'd probably like something a bit lighter. Same sort of size I've got now, but just a lighter device, a much lighter keyboard. The keyboard makes the thing twice as heavy as it as it could be. So I'm I'm curious, but I'm not 100% dead cert. Whereas, like I say, historically, you said new iPads coming, I would I'd be there for it, especially when I've got one that's what three years old now. Yeah, I mean that's quite telling, isn't it? And you even tried an M2 one and didn't think it was sufficient to upgrade. No, no, it was not worth the extra money because it came out about four or five hundred pounds more expensive and so you're already a big leap up so it wasn't worth it for me i'm going to finish this with a thought exercise if you buy a samsung phone you've got this deck software you can plug it in and it gives you effectively a version of linux running out the back of your phone so you can take advantage of your big screen you can use the, the built-in android clients and run mail and all the rest of it and all right android's a little geekier than apple but how amazing would it be? You could plug in your phone, you could plug in your iPad, you could plug in your Vision Pro, and you got that consistent Mac operating system running out the back of it for those that wanted it. Only for those with the right dongle, Apple could sell you it for another 800 quid or whatever it would be. But to give people who wanted that consistent experience between devices, that experience would be massively valuable, I think, and wouldn't hurt Apple in the slightest that they could do something like that. If Samsung can do it, 
who are not known to be the great software vendors. Amazing hardware, but not not a patch in the software that Apple are reputedly able to ship. If they can do it consistently, reliably with their Dex deck, and it's well received by the people that use it, I think Apple are missing the trick and making all the devices a bit more consistent and usable. And would be compelling for you to upgrade. If you could plug in your iPad and have a Mac-like experience just by sticking a USB thing in the bottom of it, you would be a much happier camper. Yeah, or equally, if I could just plug my phone in and have an iPad experience and just take my phone with me to work, oh, that'd be amazing. And for the future, when you've got your foldable, you know, you'd want that. When you've got your iPad mini that unfolds to be a much bigger thing, what runs on that? Is it iOS or is it iPad OS? I think the the walls are going to start to get confusing in a world where an iPhone can be the same size as an iPad mini and an iPad mini can be the same size as an iPad Air. Because you know, you, the limitations of the software are going to be banging your head off them very, very quickly at that point. It would be super interesting to see if they rename it and we go back to iOS for everything. Because iPadOS is not really that much different than iOS. It really isn't. Anyway, that was my thoughts on that. Uh, apparently there's some sales on or was that related to what we were talking about uh, no think, I, was, yeah. I just think they're emptying their channels so like I say Stuart Displays iPads are on sale iPads have been on sale on Amazon for a little while I think they've been on sale in John Lewis here in the UK so it's just interesting seeing that maybe they are trying to flush the channel of some devices so let's see where we end up but I'm looking forward to an event it's been a while since we've had an, I think it was what September did we get one in October there was the no, I don't even remember uh, now. There was the Mac one. I was on holiday, wasn't yeah. I? And they did the Mac one at night, which was uh, it was at a strange time, and they brought the M3 out. Um, but that was a very minor event in the scheme of things. They put a very fast chip in the Macs, but nothing else. That was the podcast I had to do by myself, Chris. You did do it by yourself. I was lounging. Um, I think one one day I'll have to return the favour and see here going with the editing and the posting and the, all that stuff. Oh my good lordy. Yeah, I don't know what I would do. I guess you're a bit more qualified for it than me. But no, I'm looking forward to an event because I thought we'd have had one for the Vision Pro, but we didn't. So I'm looking forward to it. So if we get one in March and we get WWDC in June, that would be nice. Fair play. Moving swiftly along and on something else that just occurred to me, this will be a very short topic. So I'm going skiing next week, so there'll be an early recorded podcast. So if the news isn't bang up to date, as I'll, I'll use Chris's line. If Apple by Nintendo, we're probably going to miss that. So we're going to record something a little bit in advance. But as I was getting ready to my stuff together to go, uh, the last time I went skiing, I bought a new GoPro for it. So GoPros are little action cameras. And I've had them a few versions of it. Going back to the original GoPro, I had a 2, I had a 4, 5, and then I have this GoPro 9. The reason I bought them were my kids were very active. They were at the beach. I didn't want to take my iPhone in the water. I did a little bit of motorcycling off-road, so you know I could record a little bit of that. I had my reasons for them, and then skiing. So as the years have passed and iPhones have got better, I've felt less and less needs to buy GoPros and I don't do off-road motorcycling and I go skiing an awful lot less than I did and my kids are older. So I'm looking at this GoPro 9 that I've got in a, a box over there and I'm thinking, now at this point I'd normally be thinking it's time to upgrade and go for the latest greatest GoPro Hero 12, which is 499 quid with amazing image stabilization and 120 frames per second, 4K and all sorts of amazing, even wider lenses on it. And I'm wondering, do I need to bother? And you know, as a thought exercise when you're upgrading things, do I need to bother? Well, it's like me with the iPad, isn't it? Do I need to bother if they bring out a new iPad and spend a lot of money? I have no idea what the spec of a GoPro 9 is, but it's 400 quid. It's a lot. And you said you bought it when you went skiing. So is this the thing you do? You go skiing, you buy it. Like this is the cost of the holidays. You buy a new camera. 
Well, I used to have more reasons, I think, is where I'm going with this. And I've put in the show notes the links to the GoPro Hero 9, just to give you some idea of the specs of it on the Amazon page. It's not a bad spec, the GoPro Hero 9. It's not that old a device. It will do 4K at not the highest frame rate in the world, but it will do it. It has got a bit of image civilization. It's got some things built into it that you really, really don't need in a camera. It has its own variant of, hey, dingus, you know, start recording, stop recording, all that kind of stuff. I guess it makes a bit of sense when it's stuck to the top of your helmet on your motorbike and you can't, you know, you've got hands and gloves and you can't press buttons and all the rest of it. But it all feels a bit redundant because the battery life on these things isn't great. It's it's more that everything else that I had justified to myself that I was going to buy a GoPro. Young kids at the beach, on holiday, motorcycle, da-da-da. I have older kids. They don't go to the beach. You know, iPhones are now waterproof. You know, there's all sorts of things that are contingent on, do I really need to do this? Or actually, is what I've got more than good enough for my, my, my holiday? And and will I just use it once and then not sit in a bucket? The other consideration for the GoPro when I bought it was, this was the first version that you could use GoPro software on at the start of lockdown for using as a webcam. And that's not a problem anymore either. So... I mean, I'm in, I'm leaning towards no, but it's an interesting thought experiment as your as your gadget buying impulses go. Yeah, do you know what I think? As I, I don't know whether it's because I've got older or I've had less desire to buy gadgets lately. I think maybe just the ecosystems have stabilised a bit more, and so I'm not in a rush to get a new iPad or a Mac. Uh, looking at this, though, the one you've got, I, I pulled a face. It does 5K video, which. I didn't think 5K video was a, a thing. I thought we did four and we did eight. I didn't realize there was a, a 5K. But it looks a great spec what you've got. I think the benefit of having a GoPro though is that you probably don't care about it as much as you would if it was your phone. And whilst it's not disposable, if you broke it, the world wouldn't end. Whereas if you broke your phone, it's a you know three times more expensive device. You'd be a lot more worried around it. This thing's obviously built to be bolted onto things and thrown around so i can 100% see why you'd have a gopro and they're obviously leaning massively into that market of you know this is the go anywhere camera that you don't need to worry about but i think if you bought one it would be like my my play date and just sit on the side and annoy you because you spent 400 quid on it i think you're probably right i think you've helped me make a decision there thank you chris that's useful i hope that was useful to listeners who may be in the same situation or you know if somebody's got a gopro 12 wants to get me in get in touch with me before i go uh, on uh, saturday please do but i think that's helped make a decision thank you for that yeah i think maybe if you had one that was hd not for four five k that would be the, the difference but you've got such a good one and it does look a great spec so i would stick with it fair enough thank you very much anything else from intro no i don't think so i enjoyed that Brilliant. App of the week is fairly simple this week, but might be useful for somebody who's moving Macs or things around a lot. This is a piece of software where you can keep your settings in sync between devices. Not just your apps from the App Store, but the actual settings. So next time you install a Mac, if you want it to persist all your particular customizations for Logic or the filters you had in Motion or whatever it is that you really want to, the desktop looking a particular way, your terminal configuration in a particular way, this you can actually back up on there. So you can restore all your stuff from the App Store and restore everything exactly the way it was in terms of your configuration, which is probably quite unique in many cases. I just thought it was quite a cool piece of software. It's called MacUp uh, and uh, it's open source. And when you click through to the open source link, it lists all the apps that it will do the settings for. Somebody's gone through and listed all that and put hyperlinks into the app. It's quite a directory of apps, to be fair. 
it's a very impressive little piece of software. So if you if you are the kind of person that wants to persist all that stuff, this is quite cool. Yeah, it uh, looks good. Looks good. So my thing of the week is I've gone for the Grand Tour, which is season five, I think. So this is the penultimate show. So they're going to do one more afterwards, which we don't know what it is. They haven't released a trailer for it. But this one's called Handjob. It's on Amazon Prime. It's Clarkson, May and Hammond. And do you know what? I sat down with my children on Friday night and the three of us sat and watched it. And everybody watched it and thoroughly enjoyed it. It was, if you liked Top Gear when they did it, it was just that. But they're in the, in the, in the desert. And it was, it was good. It, it wasn't groundbreaking. They didn't do anything normally do that involves three cars some modifications driving lots of miles stupid humor but actually my, my kids and i enjoyed it and it was nice to have a couple of hours just sat on the couch watching a show with them and some of the some of the direct you know the camera shots the direct bit fantastic just what an amazing place they're in the sahara desert nice i had seen the trailer i thought that looks exactly like grand tour slash top gear looks yep. and thought i might get into it at some point yeah i think i probably just enjoyed it more because i I just had two hours with my kids so it's just to sit on the couch they found it funny and it was just something we shared enjoyment of so if i was watching on my own i probably it would have been less fast it may not be my thing of the week but i think because i watched it with my kids it was just a nice thing to do when you want to kill a couple of hours fire going that kind of thing yep sounds like a good thing to me i will check it out maybe not this week i also need to follow up on mr and mrs smith at some point as well have you seen it i watched another episode you haven't got to the end yet? No. Yeah, we should discuss that when you get to the end. Okay, all right, good. Okay, and on that piece of intrigue, we can call that a show, Chris. Well, you should have said, and on that bombshell, because that's how they I, end Grand Tour. I was, go- I was going for the vague theme without it being copyright. <laughs> okay, so let, uh, if anyone wants to get into contact with us, Rod is at g5maniac at maston.scott. I'm at underscore cjp at maston.social. You can check us out on YouTube. We probably need to find a short link, uh, but you- to our website which is that is a short link thank you very much if, you ch- if you'd care to check the short link for the youtube link it's now a short link that's a horrible link so t.ly slash 7w5ta rolled right off the tongue nothing like it but it's a short link um, or you can drop us an email at wake from sleep at protonmail.com talk to you next week chris cheers rob